Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And right now, instead of doing read the reviews, we're going to give a special shout-out to a patron. And this patron is Joanna. Thank you so much for supporting the show through Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And if Patreon is not your thing, then we really encourage you to leave a review on iTunes. Now, let's get right into the intro. First off, who did you interview in this episode? <laughs> Thank you, Lisa, very much, Zara. We interviewed Lisa and Dylan from Wisdom Wonder Project. And why did you interview them? Well, as you know, Zara, on How I'm Homeschooling the Kids, I try my best to showcase different learning practices or homeschooling methods. And as much as I'm a huge advocate of self-directed learning and also unschooling, there are still many practices that work really well for families. And I thought it's probably time that we explore some of those. So one of those practices is actually the classical homeschooling method. And that's what I wanted to learn more about. And I do so in this episode. So that's where Lisa Ann Dillon comes in. She is a homeschooling parent. I think she's homeschooled for over 15 years now. And she's also a classical education teacher. And she works with Wisdom Wonder Project. And they offer quite a few resources and curriculum. It's actually a digital curriculum for homeschool. Uh, with a lot based on the classical method. So I'd love to hear from you. Do you use the classical method? Are you interested? Is it not for you whatsoever? I'd love to hear your feedback, comments, questions, and let me know how you like this interview. The great thing, and I want to thank you, Lisa and Dylan, for her enthusiasm and her excitement. It really shines through in this interview. And it's always so much fun when I get to hang out for an hour or more with someone who shares the same joys that I do in learning. And don't forget to check out my mom on her website, Facebook, and Instagram at Honeym Homeschooling the Kids. Enjoy the episode! So today I have Lisa Ann Dillon joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Lisa Ann, for joining me. It's so great to be here, Robin. It's really um, fun to chat with you, and I'll have a good time um, connecting with your audience today. Yeah, I think, I, well, you guys will hear Lisa Ann has great passion, and I think we share that excitement for something wonderful when it comes to learning, so I think this should be a good good episode in that way. Uh, Lisa Ann is a homeschooling parent to two children, and she's also been teaching classically at Slow Classical Academy for 15 years. So maybe, Lisa, you can give us a little bit of uh, background on this yourself. How long have you homeschooled for? Well, my son was two and a half when I started teaching at Slow Classical Academy, and I was on that cusp where I wasn't completely ready to go back to work, but we needed the finance and financial mm-hmm. input. And so in order to prepare for my teaching, I just did all my reading out loud to my two and a half year old. So at that time I was teaching first and second grade and, um, I read him the Greek myths. I read him Beowulf. I read him uh, Egyptian stories. And he was two and a half and he ate it up. So then when my daughter came along, we just did the same thing with her. (laughs) So she's sort of been homeschooled since she was born. And um, Mm -hmm. so he was about two and a half when I started at Sloka. And, you know, we've just been, we have never looked back. Okay. So maybe can you, for those who don't know, can you, when you say Sloka, like Slow Classical Academy, what is that? Can you explain the background and what it is to those who are new to this? Yes. Um, 
slow, first of all, stands for San Luis Obispo, which is where I live. And um, we are a slow classical academy. And um, we are a hybrid school where students are on campus um, two or three days a week. And then they're homeschooled for those other days. The curriculum is completely um, created by the teachers and staff on campus and families follow along with it. And so I began there teaching first and second grade. I've been teaching third and fourth grade for many, many years. And um, so our families are very connected with the campus and also very invested in the in the schooling that they do at home. So I get both kind of ends of getting to be a homeschool mom and also getting to be a curriculum developer and a teacher and um, a, just kind of a, a, fam- a mentor of families and teachers. And the, as you said, the school's been around 15, 16 years. I kind of lose track like that. When we started, um, we just were very small, but the program kept growing and growing to the point where when we grew into a middle school, our eighth graders said, um, we can't go to high school anywhere else. Will you please start a high school for us? So we did. And so now Sloka actually is infant care to high school. So it's like oh wow, okay. Cradle cradle to 12th grade. <laughs> um and and wisdom we'll talk in a minute, but wisdom wonder sprang up out of that. Okay. Okay. So just for information purposes and background purposes as well with Sloka is it uh, essentially a private school, an independent school? How is it, or is it a homeschool community? How would I describe that? Yeah, it's one of those things that's a little hard to label. It is a private school. We are a nonprofit, um, and it we we fall into that homeschool category as well. But you know, again, like I said, we actually have a campus where. Um, our students come and uh, they have all of their classes, math, art, science, um, Latin. Uh, Latin is the language that we do until high school where you can um, choose Spanish or Latin. And so then maybe if you can give a little bit of background as well, and we can actually go into, because I think this probably all ties in as well. So you had brought up the words Wisdom Wonder Project, and that's how I was first introduced to you. And I knew about Wisdom Wonder Project before I really knew about Sloka, but what is the Wisdom Wonder Project and what really drew you to them? Because um, it's a unique, it it really is a unique educational path. It's not like, um, it's not probably like your public school that's closest to your, to your neighborhood right now. So yeah, what is it exactly? Right. Yes. Wisdom Wonder is really unique and different um, in relationship to sort of a, a, taking the traditional public school path. And Sloka is also quite unique and different from it as well. So Wisdom Wonder Project is a a really rich, you and I were talking a few minutes ago about like every single um, bit of material from it is just wonderful. And you just want to get your hands on it. It's this beautiful online curriculum and it's really designed to spark wonder in children. And it directly targets their developmental stages in a really lovely manner. And as you've alluded to, it is founded on the principles of classical education. And you can think of things like we really value reading aloud to children from the best books. So being choosy and careful about the literature we use. Um, We believe that beauty is a part of a rich education. We're thinking art, time outside, um, building with blocks, and particularly a focus on character traits. That's all interwoven within the program. 
and you asked what drew me to Wisdom Wonder, I sort of, um, I'm like, I'm interwoven within it because um, it, it grew out of the, the brick and mortar school um, sloka. So, so we, over the years, we've had visitors come to our campus and we've also had families leave our campus that, you know, are moved away for whatever reason. And we just would hear again and again, like, we wish we could take this with us. And that we, you know, we recognize that there really is a market out there, um, a really wide and broad market of people who would love the kind of curriculum that we have um, really fine-tuned over the years at Sloka. And so Wisdom Wonder Project sprang up out of that. It is its own nonprofit company, but it's connected to Sloka Classical Academy in regards um, to that. The, the so far the teachers who've contributed are also teachers who've been teaching at Sloka for many many years and um, our Singapore math videos grew up out of what we were doing on campus at Sloka as well. Okay okay so from what I and I'd asked you this earlier as well from what I understand that the focus seems to be on the classical method and uh, you know that I I'm more of a, uh, my family follows more of the uh, unschooling approach. And so I'm not completely familiar with the classical method, although we definitely have some interest and, you know, we've been kind of dipping our toes into it and, and finding out a lot more. And I really do like it. Can you tell me what is the classical method? And then after that, how it fits in to your interests and also to Wisdom Wonder Project? Yeah. Um, and th- this one will have to like cut me off because I could talk all day. <laughs> okay. Well, I, how about we break it down first? What is a classical method <laughs> for yeah. those of us that aren't familiar with it? Yeah. Let's, let's put that simply. So classical education is an approach that seeks to teach the whole child. And I know a lot of other programs say that as well. It's a great buzzword in education. So then let me do kind of break that down in, in regards to what I mean. Classical education uses methods such as poetry recitation, which exercises the mind and the memory. It also implements, um, helps the mind absorb beautiful language, proper grammar and syntax, and um, teaches children sort of poise and self-confidence. So they memorize poetry and they recite it. And um, Another another component of classical education is the telling back of content. So you might have been dipping into that a little bit as you were playing with our unit. So you you read a history passage to your child, and rather just moving on or doing comprehension questions on a you know kind of a worksheet, you engage your child with the text that was just read, and they tell you back what they heard, what they learned, what they know. Um, we refer to that as narration, and it's definitely a hallmark of classical education. And then um, carefully copying out well-written sentences is another important part. And you you don't you don't just choose any old sentence, but you you carefully choose from eloquent and engaging literature. And so it's all connected. And in this way, again, children are developing spelling skills, grammar skills, mechanics. Um, you can really work on their handwriting through creating this copy work, and also you're. Um, implementing, again, the idea of beauty and sort of excellence. And children who are classically taught really just, we find they develop good habits of the mind, how they think and how they look at the world. And over the time, over time, the lessons um, they receive in character education, which is, again, it's just all woven in, 
the ultimate goal is that that leads to the pursuit of wisdom and virtue. And, you know, in our high school is we find these sort of winsome kids who are really ready to defend what they think, what they believe, to be persuasive and um, respectful in their communication. So it, it will move in that direction. Okay. Okay. So that's the kind of what is it? Okay. So, you know, when I hear of that as well, I think like it sounds fairly structured to me. Is it a very structured program that you follow from, and it starts very early, right? From uh, young until high school age? Yeah, it definitely, you know, structure is a good word, but let's um, sort of separate that out from stricture. So I think that classical education, particularly, um, you know, some people who approach classical education really do target the rigor and the stricture. Wisdom Wonder Project is also heavily influenced by Charlotte Mason, who in the 1800s actually was pressing against the classical method of the day. First of all, she was saying education is for all, not just for wealthy boys. Um, We should educate all children. And she was a master at observing children and seeing sort of where they were developmentally and what would be easiest for them along the way. For instance, kids until they're in about sixth grade, their memory is, their ability to memorize, it, it's just, it will never be the same again in their life. So <laughs> classical education really taps into that. So they memorize poetry, they memorize dates, they memorize names, they memorize events. Um, and you could do that sitting very, you know, at at your desk with good posture, you know, but we don't ever do it like that. I mean, my kids have done their classical education in forts. We've done it under the dining table. We've done it on the trampoline. We've done it on walks through the woods. Um, So while there is this kind of structure that you follow a synchronous kind of stair step, um, we like to add beauty and wonder along the way, really staying in touch with where children are developmentally and trying to go with that flow as instead of, of like push against. Okay. That's clear. Okay. I understand that. And I like the word you said, structure versus stricture. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that term actually stricture like that before. Um, And so you favor the structure as opposed to the stricture. being um, unbendable, like very strict. And um, I guess you think of something when it's strict, you, it's almost unenjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because what we want is one of the, really at the heart of what we're doing is that, again, this is a buzzword, but we want to instill that love of learning. Well, what do I mean by that? We really want kids to say, I want to learn more. I it's like when you're reading that, you know, story of the world and you say, okay, we're done for the day. And your child says, no, no, please read more. That's the love of learning, you know? And, um, it, it, there are some ways I think that unschooling families can really learn to love some of these components because they really are naturally geared towards the, you know, for instance, children are very observant. Well, educating classically really um, taps into that power of observation. So unschooling loves to go with the direction that the child has an interest in. And we really feel like it's been rare that we've offered up, for instance, 
um, you know, the King Arthur stories and had a student say to us, eh, I don't want to read about King Arthur. <laughs> you know, like generally they say more, more. So there, so that you do find that there's some overlap like that. Okay. Okay. And what about, um, and I don't know how familiar you are with, for example, I know Charlotte Mason, you'd said you do use a lot of Charlotte Mason elements in your program. Mm -hmm. And I think of Charlotte Mason, um, like nature journaling and being, spending a lot of time outside and observation. Mm -hmm. Is that, am I off or is that incorporated as well? Yeah, you're right on the money. Um, Particularly with the younger kids, we really do believe that um, nature study um, journaling. We journal at Slow Classical Academy, we journal all the way up into high school. And by that, I mean, children are keeping a record of their learning and doing so in beautiful ways, but that tap into each child's style and mode of creativity. So in the younger years, we really are modeling it for them. And you'll see that in the Wisdom Wonder Packet. It's will recommend that you do a a journal entry and gives you suggestions for how to do it. But it also leaves things a little open-ended. So if you've got a really creative child who wants to create a 3D model instead of just write something in their journal, that's, that's you know, allowed is kind of a funny word to say, but we, let's say we allow space for that. And um, so that the self-expression of a child as they're learning is really important, but it's the content that we're providing for them. It's, it's rich, it's organized, and um, students do respond really well to that. Okay. Okay. That, that's understandable. Okay. Um, and then what kind of families do you find are usually drawn to the classical method or even to Wisdom Wonder Project? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, I think families who really value character education are drawn to classical education because it's really at the fore of what we do. And it, it really comes through with Wisdom Wonder Project. You know, currently there's in the last, I'd say, you know, five years or last decade, there's been a lot of talk about specific elements of character education. Like I know a big one is grit. You know, there was that book mm-hmm. and we talk about it. <clears throat> we find that by weaving in awareness all along the way, children will identify resilience. They see characters who are, exhibit determination or diligence. And kids see that those qualities pop up in the characters in their history and in their literature. And then, especially if you, when you start young, they really want to be like the admirable characters they meet on the page. So we're finding that families who really value like a high level of excellence and they really want to help their children sort of be the best people they can be are really drawn to this. Um, but also, you know, Families are understanding, I think, that children are capable of much more than what can sometimes be offered in the typical educational settings we find today. So those kind of families who really seek more for their students are drawn to it. And then families who love literature, we were talking about that a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. If you, you, you love history and you really want to know all there is to know about a particular time frame, well, there's so much literature that connects with all the, all the time frames in history. So you can really make something of it and, and um, take something very deep um, rather than just, you know, dipping into it. You can go as deeply as you like. So families who have that love are really drawn to classical education. And then I'd say finally, people who were either educated classically themselves or know someone else or someone else's child who was educated classically 
those people are drawn to us because kids who have been educated classically do tend to stand out in all of the best ways. They, um, you know, humility is built into the study. And so there is just kind of this winsome, relaxed manner of interacting. Even we find like some of our true introverts as they come into high school, they've been practicing, um, you know, kind of critical thinking and learning to think for themselves and um, learning to analyze literature and learning to think about the timeline of history. They have a real great confidence as they step into young adulthood. So, you know, you meet someone and you, you say, wow, that young person is so um, interesting and poised where they go to school and you find out it's classically educated and then families go looking for classical education. So we find a lot of people come to us that way. If that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Were you classically educated? I was not classically educated until I started at Sloka 15 years ago. <laughs> okay, interesting. And is that what drew you to Sloka? Was that method or? You know, what drew me to Sloka was I had two different friends in our little community got involved with the school. And I had been a teacher. I was, um, I was home with my toddler, um, but I had been a teacher for oh, 10 years or something um, prior. And the first comment I heard about Soka was all the kids have their hands up all the time. They all want to participate in the discussions. And then I heard from another person that the visionary of the school, the founder, her name is Susie Thule, um, had such a passion for creating the very best place to learn. Um, uh, those two things drew me. And so then as soon as I began reading the stories that would be provided for the first and second graders, I was hooked because the literature is so beautiful. You can't put it down. And that's what we want for our students. We want them to say, I can't stop. I just, I've got to read more. I want to know more. So that, that lit my fire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. I understand that. And I, I know one question that's come up uh, recently as well. And it, it that I've, I've been asked because we've been, uh, I told you that my daughter has been, she always has had a long interest in geography and learning about the world as well. I think our whole family has. And so uh, the story of the world and your one of your uh, programs is one that we've been trying out right now, and she's really enjoying it. Uh, but someone had said, well, because we're not a religious family. Mm-hmm. So someone had said, well, I thought classical is only for religious families. So is that who you cater to? Are there? Can you be secular and still follow the classical program, or how does that work? You absolutely can be secular. In fact, so Classical Academy is non-sectarian, and we are committed that Wisdom Wonder would be the same, so that it could reach um, families of any faith and families who don't practice any kind of religion at all. In fact, um, you know, we did take comments from people when we um, first did our test groups, and that was one of the comments actually that we got back was that. Um, you know, it even the look of the program can is inviting to people of all different walks, and mm-hmm. there is nothing clearly um, leaning in one direction or the other. We've also noticed that Christian families feel really comfortable with it because it is there isn't sort of like a like a criticism. It is taking the path that's welcoming to all. Um, you will find that there are. Um, you know, opportunities to read the Bible, but there are also references to the other great religious works. 
And, mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's, I think something that can really bring people of different backgrounds together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as you know, we're, we're not a religious family and, um, we've been using it and, but I mean, for us, we also believe that every belief should be recognized and we have the freedom to, to choose and to uh, believe what we want to, which is, I think, one beautiful thing of the world we live in. So, and I do know, you know, there are, um, classical programs that really focus on the emphasis of it being a Christian program. Um, it does, if you want to look back at the history, it, it comes out of sort of the, the education that the Catholic Church was giving, the education mm-hmm. that was um, being done in the Middle Ages. and then in, But in the Renaissance, it takes a little bit of a turn, and, and it did become more secular in the re- during the Renaissance. And what we feel at Wisdom Wonder Project is it is a really beautiful way to educate, not only to give an education for today as children, but to help grow the kind of adults that are really going to be contributors to society. So we don't think you should limit that to one group. We think you should make that available as widely available as possible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because actually I've been reading um, Joseph Campbell lately, and he is very big on um, mythology, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've had a, if, if you've you're familiar with him. And the one I'm reading, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but essentially it's an interview that he had with someone that was reprinted into this book, and you know he brings up the his belief as well about like he doesn't say the classical education but what he refers to is essentially the classical education the importance of old stories um, mythology and literature in understanding our world our past and our present because so much of it is wrapped up into one and I, you know it's interesting too because he actually has mentions as well the ideas of religious literature as well, because really there's mythology in literature that I think sometimes, especially now we think is, um, we, we get caught up in the other and miss the amazing mythological stories that actually have a lot of symbolism and are continuous throughout many different beliefs as well. So I, you know, it's funny because you know, I had been preparing for this interview as well, and we had started looking into the, you know, the one, the one um, uh, learnings that my daughter is do, we're doing with my daughter right now, and, and then I came across this and Joseph Campbell, and it really relate. It makes sense to me absolutely. Well, and I think Joseph Campbell, I love. He's the he's the one who really made popular the idea of the archetypal hero, the the, mm-hmm. the hero's journey, the hero's journey. Yeah, and we get that from the mythology. We get that from King Arthur. We get that from Robin Hood. Um, Mm -hmm. I say we get it from Scheherazade in 1001 Arabian Nights. Um, The heroine, there's the heroine as well as the hero. Um, And he really taps into the idea that these stories aren't just ancient hubbub. They are our stories. They are what make us human. And that in every mythological story, um, there is some, there is truth to be learned. There's that sort of archetypal, um, uh, you know, undeniable truth that you learn mm-hmm. about um, humanity and about the course of history and uh, just who we are with our capricious ways. And um, it's such um, a storehouse. It's, it is, 
um, you know, it's too bad that it has been shunted aside, but classical education is certainly trying to bring all of that back to the fore. And children, again, it's like children love this stuff. They eat it up. So, yeah. Yeah. Get them very excited. Yeah. If anybody who's listening is not familiar with what we're talking about in Joseph Campbell, <laughs> I really <laughs> encourage you to check it out. Um, I, we probably could go off on a whole other tangent on that, but I know even like Pixar says that they base all of their movie creations on Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. But the great thing about the hero's journey is I always interpret it as every single one of us goes on our own personal hero's journey in our life. And it can be interpreted to every individual person. Some people choose to go on their actual hero's journey and some people turn it down. And I think that's part of that, you know, the life, life choice and process. But yeah, that could be a whole other show. So. Yeah, yeah. I, call me up another time. I would love to okay. talk to you yeah. about it. <laughs> so listeners, please, I recommend look, look into it. It's, it's absolutely, yeah. If you love to write, if you love writing, literature, yeah, all of that, it's, uh, I think it's an essential part of that, that study. Okay, so I told you we, I had wanted to actually uh, talk about a few themes that I've noticed with Wisdom Wonder Project that come up um, not only in whether we're looking at classical or Charlotte Mason or self-directed learning and schooling. There's a few themes that seem to um, have crossover, but also I think are common themes for many families and parents and children that are choosing choosing an alternative learning approach. Uh, that's different from traditional school. And um, so can we talk about these? I know I gave you a list of some, and I know there's some that you really would like to expand on. So Yes. uh, Well, and I think with the Joseph Campbell, the perfect place is the idea of starting with this idea of story. Okay. And I love when in your notes, you said, well, is it, are you guys talking about like the personal story, the story of history? What is it? And I just wanted to say to you, yes, all of the above. (laughs) And so um, it it is definitely one of my favorite things to talk about is this idea of story. You know, we've seen that story has the power to change people as individuals, but it has the power to change cultures collectively. So I want you to think of Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. That's a, Mm -hmm. that was a book that changed the course of American history. It wasn't a lecture and it was not a sermon. It was just a good story with relatable characters that moved people. And it, and it literally changed history. And we'll, we find examples in literature where the power of story saves lives. A moment ago, I, I said, I think Scheherazade is, um, uh, you know, she is for sure on the heroine's journey. And if, if your listeners haven't read the 1001 Arabian Nights, I really recommend that as well. She literally tells stories to save her life. And she's in danger by the husband she's married. But what keeps her alive is that he wants to hear one more story. (laughs) We all know how it is at night when we're putting our kids to bed and we're so tired and we read, but they want one more chapter, one more page, right? That's that power. The greatest stories are mythological, but they've all got this kernel or more of truth to them. So we connect on this deep level. And when children learn to value the stories of others, that's where they develop that empathy. That's another big buzzword that we talk about, like emotional intelligence. Reading rich, good stories develops empathy. It also does, it develops a desire to connect with other people. And then the delight that we all take in storytelling 
it's just kind of undeniable, right? We, we just each love to, at the end of the day, tell our story. So when you have a curriculum that's built around beautiful stories, you've got a foundation on which to build a beautiful life. And that's where, again, we're talking about lifelong learning. And so, yes, it's your story. It's the story that you reach back into the past and make connections with. It's the story you want to write about your own life going forward in the future. And so you become the weaver and the teller of your own tale because you learn the value of that as you delve into this really rich and beautiful literature and history. They're very connected. Mm. Okay. And, and that's what you incorporate a lot of, really it's based around story and literature and then expand from there, right? That's right. And you were saying that your daughter is really enjoying story of the world. What's so magical about that book is it's history, but it's told in a narrative. So you're caught right up into the story and you feel like you're, you know, you're involved. And then there are a lot of beautiful picture books that we recommend with Wisdom Wonder Project. And it's that same thing. So you might be learning about um, Cleopatra, but you're just all caught up into. And that's the other thing too, is these stories that come from history, they're so much more exciting than what many um, authors can come up with on their own anyway. So why not just go ahead to the source of some of these things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And really that's what they are. They're stories from the past that you know, I don't know why sometimes they come across so dry when really, you know, there are so many other elements as, as is in our everyday life that influenced, I'm sure, people's thoughts, fears, concerns, the, you know, languages, the economy, everything else that was peace, wartime that was going on around them that really would have um, motivated them to make certain decisions that then impacted history and went on to continue from there. So yeah, I love story. I think story, <laughs> even even fictional story is greatly impactful because so many times you can, you know, maybe tell something that, you know, put it in different words, different viewpoint, but so many times there's something that usually can re- still relate f- of your own life and yourself to that story. That's right. I mean, that's one of the things we know about Abraham Lincoln is that to convince people to do things they didn't want to do, he told a convincing story. He didn't mm-hmm. try to, you know, strong arm people. He told a story that the, you know, then then the person found themselves not being able to back out of the realization that they just had based on the story right. that was right. presented to them. So there's so much power there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So then let's talk about engagement. I I understand that it fits well with story because you, we can enjoy the story. We can get caught up in the story. We can see ourselves in the story. We have empathy. Do you think that engagement is something that occurs occurs naturally or is it something that we kind of have to find the beauty, pull out of kids? I think that's a great question. And since every kid is different, I'd say my answer would be different you know, given the different kids. But if I generalize, Mm. I would say that if the materials you put before your student are rich enough, you will generally find a hook somewhere. And um, if you've got a kid who's putting their head down on their desk every day, crying, I don't want to do this, I hate this, which does happen, you definitely want to analyze your materials um, sometimes we'll just wake up grumpy. So some, sometimes you're just going to have a morning like that, no matter what kind of beautiful materials you have. Sometimes it's, you know, mama's grumpy and then no one's going to have fun. <laughs> but um, I think that when we feel engaged, 
it's some sort of wonder has been sparked in our minds and the same is true for children. So, I mean, I would say even like, let's use math, I think is a good example. Um, we might have our children at the table memorizing math facts and they might just have to write their math facts over and over and over. And that might be the approach we're taking. And, um, I don't know that that's particularly engaging, but when we put materials in kids' hands and we show them how to, um, you know, make co different combinations of 10 and how we can move the same number around and create all these different manners of doing it, if we're learning multiplication and we, and we use um, arrays or we use what's called the area model, I can, let me see if I can draw a word picture for you. Picture that you've got, you know, colored cubes, unifix cubes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we want to demonstrate three times four. So we want our child to memorize that three times four equals 12. We could ask them to evenly distribute those cubes. Let's say we have three friends and we want each to have the same amount of cookies. And the mm -hmm. cubes are the cookies. And mm -hmm. But we want to put it like in a little square. And so now you can see we've got one, two, three. We've got the next row of one, two, three, you know. And so we've got four rows of three and that's 12. So we can also teach the child area from there. What is on the inside of this rectangle that we've just made? There's a total of 12 cubes. How did we get that? What, what, how do we know this is 12? You know, and it's, that's the engagement where we begin to ask questions and we, we tap into what our child is interested in. And then we try to go in that direction as well. Um, so that's what Wisdom Wonder Project really gets to the heart of is, again, because these activities are created by teachers who've been doing this for 15 years, we already know. <laughs> we know the activities that have really sparked the interest of the children in our classroom. And those are the materials that we're pulling out and providing for Wisdom Wonder. Okay. 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 So the next one then, and, and to piggyback on that, uh, because yes, you are teachers. You've been teachers that are involved with the school, that are creating this curriculum as well. But you're also homeschoolers. So you're not a full, the kids don't go full time. They go a few days a week and then they're home the rest of the week. Uh, the next one I wanted to ask about was relationships. So how does that work? Is it because you see the value of them being at home with their parents for a large part of the time? Is it instead you create a larger community with parents, teachers, and kids? What is the importance of, importance of relationships in learning? I mean, let's, I, I want to start like small, like, um, we all, we all need to establish a positive relationship with ourselves. And when mm, students okay. see themselves as learners and they see that they have agency and they've got some responsibility for their learning, I think it's a good foundation for healthy, you know, self-esteem and, um, just the ability to affect your own course, right? And then, yeah, we think that the family family relationship is just key. That um, we, you know, one of the things that I loved throughout the years, I call it time on the sofa. We do so when you homeschool, you do so much reading aloud to your children, and we I've used it like as a um, you know, a coming, a time of coming together. Like if there's some kind of strife going on in the family or there's been a difficult, maybe, you know, difficult news or um, there's one student is having some stress. We just pull out a beautiful storybook and gather on the sofa together. And it just brings us all back in relationship with one another. We're in relationship with the characters in the story. I feel like this is one of those things that we can go um, very broad with also because 
when kids relate, like for instance, my daughter's favorite book is Anne of Green Gables. She (laughs) often just comes up with these little phrases that come directly out of that book. She has a relationship with Anne. (laughs) She knows her intimately. She could tell you the decisions that Anne would make. But those things are also a reflection of my daughter. It's why she's... So I learn about my daughter as I hear her reflect what she knows about Anne of Green Gables. And then if we sit down and read that together, it's a a deep bonding time for us. Now let's pull in that, you know, um, the teachers that... It, and, you know, in our situation, it's the teachers at Sloka, but through Wisdom Wonder, it's that same thing. It's just that one more element of the building of community. But in the end, we really aren't doing school just to stay at home alone in our homes, although we do like to have this, like, a little bit element of control of what our children are going to be learning about, talking about, seeing about. But we're not protecting them from, from the world. We are preparing these children to live in the world and to live excellent lives in the world so that next layer of community, that relationship with the community also becomes very important. Mm. Um, There's some great points, actually, that I kind of circled as you were writing that um, agency, having for our our children, for ourselves, for everyone to have agency, especially agency in their learning, becomes such a powerful motivator, right? It it really... um, yeah, I think that means everything. (laughs) That's a big, uh, that's a big point for everything that comes out of our choices that we we make and the responsibility that we take for those choices as well. And that's right. And let's go ahead. Sorry. Nope, nope. Continue. continue. (laughs) I was just going to say the thing, um, when we were talking about sort of some of the differences of the approach in the classical model, um, or like similarities with unschooling is I feel like both of them say when a child gets really interested in something, you know, research will become a big part of the classical education as children get older. We're already teaching them that when you're interested, go ahead and go down the rabbit hole, find out everything you can all that you want to know. And if I understand the homeschooling homeschool- correctly, it's that same thing where once something lights your fire, just take it to the end of the road, find out everything mm-hmm. you can. So, and I'm sorry, I cut you off. So what was your other one? No, that's great. No, it's good. You added that <laughs> in. <laughs> the, the next one that I was, uh, when you said not, we're not protecting, when we were talking about extending to our, our community, a broader community, um, outside of the couch, I guess you could say, in relation to that, we're not protecting them from the world. We're preparing them or helping them to be in the world, to be part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am experiencing that so much right now as my children and probably yours are dealing with the discouragement of sheltering in place um, that they're really having to kind of dig deep with their um, understanding that sometimes we do something for the collective, for the, for the good of the whole, and that it means that we have our own little personal sacrifices. Well, they've been reading about characters in history and literature who've had to have sacrifice through all these um, years, and now it's their turn to, um, to draw on all of that and to, to make their best choices as well. And so I have said that phrase repeatedly too, that I feel like um, students who've been well-educated up until this point, they've been preparing for this moment in history all along, and now they're getting to live it out. And we want, we want to hope that when they get to the end of it and look back on it, that they, <clears throat> of course, they, they grieved and they, there was loss and there was difficulty. But we also hope that they can see how their characters were built and strengthened over the time mm-hmm. as well. 
Mm, yeah, that's a great point. I didn't, you know, but it makes sense how if you've been reading history and literature and, you know, there's examples that come up of sacrifice, of times of isolation, of being tested and challenged and, you know, yeah, how you could then relate it to our present time now that is actually very, very powerful. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our students were just studying the plague. they really understand you know the plague wiped out a large part of Europe so they really understand what can happen and they're able to make this very strong connection you know Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so yeah very authentic yeah Yeah. (laughs) exact authentic (laughs) application wow yeah you couldn't get more real than that okay okay there's another one that I had that you that is on the list that I had actually, um, I left blank because I really don't know how you approach this and what you mean by this and how it relates um, to learning for you, but it's vulnerability. Mm. You know, I think that we live in a time where everybody's trying to look like they have it all together. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> funny, but it's not funny. Yes. <laughs> um a lot of the literature that we read exposes us to characters who don't have it all together. Mm -hmm. And I think it really gives children permission to say, I don't have it all together. And this part makes me cry a little. I'm embarrassed. But I guess I think just, I'm just really touched by, um, you know, the homeschool moms that I have contact with through my own school and through just sort of the broader community. Homeschool moms are really hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. high, high expectations of themselves. And they, I hear oftentimes um, they get so frustrated and discouraged with themselves. Well, I think that there's this, as we learn to be vulnerable, we learn to reveal what's true. And that connection to truth and beauty is right at the heart of classical education. When we connect to what's true, we're able to say, this is my little broken side. This is the side I don't have all together. And when we're reading these stories with our children, you know, we're finding out about how Alexander the Great was able to conquer half the world, but he had some big flaws. And so we can look at our own flaws, like here are the things that we can do well, and here are the areas we need to grow. And we think that um, having a mindset towards effort and growth, rather than having the mindset towards getting it right, is a contrast that we like to emphasize. Right. Because if if you have a mindset towards effort and growth and not towards getting it right, you will be vulnerable because, and you're showing your vulnerability by, you're saying, you know, I might, I'm trying, but this might not be correct. This might not be right. I'm going to make some mistakes. That's right. But, but that's part of me and that's part of the better me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, it's very clear. Thank you. I get that. And yeah, I, I agree. Homeschooling parents are very hard on themselves. So I think we, when we make this choice down this different alternative path, we are so, ma- so many times taking the responsibility or we feel like we're taking all the responsibility on our shoulders when maybe before we felt like we could give the school a lot of responsibility or teachers a lot of the responsibility. But yeah, so then we think that we have to get everything perfect because we have so much responsibility placed on on us when 
you know, I think, yeah, that's part of homeschooling is all those mistakes, not getting it right. <laughs> I think that helps us all, our children as well, to grow in a better way. Yeah. And, you know, a, a great thing for your readers to, or your um, listeners to hear is that, you know, recent brain research has shown that when we make a mistake, we actually have more like dendritic connections coming out of our brain than mm-hmm. when we just get something right repeatedly. Yes. So that mistake making, we really want to embrace. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. How do we learn from mistakes without holding on to the feeling of being wrong or not good enough? And I mean, being able to laugh, I think, is a big thing as well. That ties again into the vulnerability that you were just talking about, too, and the power of making mistakes. But how do we then with mistakes? How do we hold on to it without feeling I'm not good enough? Yeah, I think a big part of it really is just to re if we come back to that word story, let's rewrite the story. And I always say to my students and to my own children, we believe what we tell ourselves. So if we can start to tell ourselves the mistake is part of our learning, over time we can come to believe that. If we don't have to get it right every time, we can try more of the times. So we all know the child who won't try. They won't try until they know they have it correct. Some of that comes from a message that we've given our child, usually not by telling the child, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's usually by the parent saying, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's when parents have very high expectations of themselves, oftentimes that perfectionism comes out in their children. But we can undo it. And a lot of it is just literally by communicating. And again, it gets back to that heart of the relationship. If we're developing a really loving, safe relationship with our children, not a perfect one because we're all going to sometimes yell at our kids. We're going to sometimes get it wrong. But it's that relationship where we come back and say, you know, I love you and we're in this together and we're going to get this figured out. That begins to create that safe space. And for parents to be able to say, wow, I blew it. I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's okay. We can, we can just get up and dust ourselves off and move on. And then when we see our children overcome mistakes, that's one of those moments where we say, wow, you really impressed me right now. I'm so proud of you. I really see how you overcame that because it is, it is countercultural. It is not ingrained within us. And so it is one of those things we need to push against. But I think being afraid to make a mistake is one of the things that hampers children most in their learning and in their love of learning. So I think it's a really worthy effort to try to undo that fear of making a mistake. Okay. So a great way is for a parent to model that themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If we're easy, go easier on ourselves when we make our mistakes and even point them out. Like, you know, oh, I was... I don't know. Like I, I love to try to draw with my kids some, sometimes with some of their art, you know, and I'll say, oh, look, this cat looks like a chicken or whatever. But you know <laughs> what I noticed? I think that I made the nose too long. I wonder if I just erase the nose and make it smaller, if that gets me closer to what I'm looking for. So mm-hmm. I do try to verbalize out loud. And the same thing with math. Like, oh, I think part of the reason this might've come out wrong is I did X, Y, or Z. I wonder what would happen if I did this instead. Okay. 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 That makes sense, actually. And because they're also seeing the process then, it's, okay, maybe this was mistake was made or this happened, but here's the steps to change it, and I can change it, and let's see what the outcome is. That's right. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's powerful. I get that. And it's very practical, too. Okay. I like how, how you explain that. 
So you, you know, I, I'm going to ask, this is the next one. And I thought this actually can tie in with math because math is usually, you know, a big one. And, you know, with classical education, so much is about around the history and literature. And what about the math? Because we usually hear, well, you know, math is usually for some, it's, you know, there's a whole, some people are math people, some people are not math people, or, you know, with the idea of grit and mindset, it's everyone is math, are math people. We just have to try. It just takes practice and mistakes and trial and error and uh, tenacity, perseverance, I think, to keep at it. Uh, But one of the words is challenge that I had asked you about. And do you feel that, and I I think of math because for some, sometimes this can be a challenging subject. Um, How do you incorporate that? And do you feel that it's important for everyone to be challenged? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think challenge is one of those, ooh, it's a really hard word to find the right balance because you can Mm. so easily tip in one direction or the other. I do think challenge is important because we all want to feel like the thing that's before us, um, we will take a little bit of work. However, we don't want it to be so challenging that students feel, I can't get, I can't do it. I can't get there. So I like to really look for, um, in regards to mathematics specifically, all the support that we can put in place to make a child feel that they can succeed. And then we want to continue to increase the difficulty of what they're working on. So we don't want too much rep. We want enough repetition to move towards mastery, but not so much repetition that students feel like I've got this. Why am I doing this over and over? And we really do love the Singapore math approach. It's a very well researched program. And I think it fits in perfectly with classical education. Again, looking at the developmental stages of children and, um, There's this great emphasis on concrete materials in Singapore math. And so I feel like it really hits all the different kinds of learners, kinesthetic learners, visual learners. Very few children really are primarily auditory. And so, um, you know, I want to get back to what you said a moment ago. I don't think that there's such a thing as a math gene or a math brain. I think Mm -hmm. that everyone can learn math and everyone can learn to excel at math. We struggle from the math, most of us. Most adults who are homeschooling their children struggle from the damage that was done to us when we were learning math. So some people are really great at math and it's, you know, lucky for them that they had a great teacher or their parents explained it to them just correctly. Um, Or they may have been a very auditory learner and were able to pick up from lecture. But some of those families have, some of those parents actually have difficulty teaching math well to their children because they don't understand why their kids don't get it. Right, And then we have the the greater majority of people feel very um, daunted by teaching math. They, you know, didn't feel like they quite understood it when they were younger or, you know, they can teach it up to fourth grade, but past fourth grade, they start to struggle. Um, a Singapore math approach really builds in a learner, a learn alongside your child type of instruction. Like their um, home instructor's guide are really you know, essentially scripted. And um, Wisdom Wonder Project has chosen Singapore math because of the success, again, that we have seen at Slow Classical Academy. But, but the, um, the, the videos that we're producing have our own twist as well. We're really, I helped vision cast the videos that we're making. And what I wanted 
was to address the thing that you just talked about with the math brain. I really wanted it to be something, and it gets back to that engagement and love of learning. Mm -hmm. I wanted these videos to be something that kids would say, can I see my math show now? (laughs) You know, or like, just, can I see Miss Amy? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So we've created these really beautiful videos with all these hands-on materials, but we're trying to do a few things simultaneously. Some homeschool families are so overwhelmed. There are multiple levels of kids that the idea of sitting side by side, watching a video with their child might not be what they want. So we tried to make videos that were so beautifully tailored to the need of the child that if a parent has to walk away, they can. But we also feel like we wanted to coach parents who want to be learning about the teaching. And so we tried we're trying to reach out and make it engaging on that level. And we're finding from our test audiences that that is the case. And then in fact, siblings are wanting to watch these videos as well and learning from them. And then on the final um, layer of that is we feel like Singapore math is the best. Well, Singapore math is an incredibly effective method of teaching mathematically, but without proper training, many teachers fail. So we're also trying to reach out to teachers who are finding themselves in schools where they're teaching Singapore math. They can watch these videos. And even though they're geared towards homeschool families, we are trying to build teacher training in as well. That was a really long answer. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually going to ask you, because you talked about concrete materials and the importance of concrete materials. And that's one of the reasons why you like Singapore math, because it provides concrete materials for the students to learn with. And so is that part of the concrete materials, having the videos? I know that's something extra that's been created that Singapore math doesn't usually have. Um, but you know, what, what are those concrete materials and how would it complement with the videos then? Yeah. And so with the video series, we actually uh, make a recommendation of the kind of things that you need. So with kindergarten, some of it is just like, um, you know, little toys, that are like little animals or little vehicles that children can use for counting, stacking, organizing. And then um, we move into the use of unifix cubes, which are little colored cubes that click together. Um, Manipulatives or concrete materials are simply anything that you can move with your hands to demonstrate the concept you're trying to learn mathematically. And a lot of math programs just show pictures on the page for younger children, and then they move right into calculation. We think that mathematics is so much more than calculation and that it's short-sighted to over-focus on calculation because children aren't developing a conceptual, strong conceptual understanding. We want them to develop spatial awareness, and so we can use little geometric objects for that as well. We also talk about position before, underneath, over, across. We want to do a lot of measuring. We want to look at things in our environment. Um, You know, cooking is a great way to learn math. So Mm -hmm. this kind of hands-on approach is at the very heart of our videos. And families will find themselves um, well-equipped. All the materials that we recommend, there are links for places to find the materials. But also some of the things are things you're going to have around your house. So I'm just thinking of one of the cute little lessons was um, in learning numeracy, 
they had just pipe cleaners and they were just putting beads on this pipe cleaner and you're counting the beads as you go. And then it's like a little bracelet and you make multiple mm-hmm. bracelets. And now we can really get to know what four looks like and really get to know what five looks like. And we can touch it and move it around. And we can see if I move my bead this way, I only have one here and there are four over here. Oh, that's one of the ways we make five is one and four. But if I move one more bead over, now I have two and three. Oh, that's another way to make five. Two and three make five. So it's like that. <laughs> and I do want to say too about the videos. I hope you'll have a chance to watch. We we're kind of going for a little bit of a, a modern day Mr. Rogers type feel where it moves at the pace of children. There's nothing mm-hmm. flashy or fast. It's calm and soothing so that we're just creating space for these concepts, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Because at first I was thinking like, because uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with Khan Academy, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so my kids have used, they, they like Khan Academy and they've used Khan for a couple of years. Um, but that sounds very different from the videos that you would find on a program or on an application like Khan Academy by making it. The Mr. Rogers feel is, <laughs> is very clear, actually, that uh, if anyone has ever watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and is f- familiar with Red, Fred Rogers, the slow descriptive. Um, there's also the visual in that way as well. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen love... videos, so I'm just assuming. When we hang up, definitely make sure to go watch them because you'll just love them. And even you were saying you have an 11 year old, she'll love them, even though what you'll see is kindergarten. And we really, um, you know, it is, it will eventually be a subscription program, but once the, you know, worldwide pandemic went into effect, we posted a great number of these videos for free on the YouTube Wisdom Wonder site so that families can just go and check them out. But um, we actually love Khan Academy. I think it's a great resource. And the difference is when you're watching Khan Academy, that's the pictorial stage. Like he'll use those bar models. So we think concrete comes first, then pictorial. And we think that his descriptions of mental math strategy are excellent. And you'll find the Mm -hmm. same kind of, um, you know, there's multiple strategies to solving all kinds of problems and that's woven in as well. So um, we think that's a great resource, but that one piece that's missing that you actually easily could add in um, are just to get yourself some manipulatives and try try to show it in front of you. We say like Mm -hmm. we want to move things with our hands so we can ultimately move numbers in our mind. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we've used like scales and blocks and I actually that's exactly how I first introduced multiplication to my kids when you use the example of the cookies, uh-huh. the cookie tray and you know you have six friends coming over and you made 24 cookies. How many cookies is everyone like how are we going to be able to divide these so that everyone gets an equal amount or you know yeah, yeah, very very visual. I find that it helps. Then immediately my kids start to revert back to, okay, the practical application and that when they're thinking about certain concepts. So that makes right. sense. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And what, oh, thank you. <laughs> what, what I'll do as well is I will include in the show links, the, um, I'll get the YouTube link and Wisdom Wonder Project, all of the links I'll have in the show notes. So for, if anyone wants to go there and and uh, link to Wisdom Wonder Project and um, so many of the wonderful uh, ideas and resources that you've mentioned, and um, I'll, I'll put all of them in there as well. So Great, we'll have yeah. those available. 
Yeah, because I know there's an Instagram and a Facebook and all that yes. social media. Yes. And there's a lot of great materials out there. And again, we're we're creating a lot um, currently for families just because we know so many families are at home who don't have any experience with homeschool, but we also are trying to make them rich enough. So if you're, you've been homeschooling for a while and you just want something else to, you know, just kind of inject a little new life into your program, um, that's available. And, you know, um, we're really hearing from families even who have been homeschooling that, the level of creativity of the materials that we've produced, um, it's very easy to implement. It's open and go with like just a little bit of preparation. And, you know, most of the materials you'll have around your house, but it's just that kind of taking the learning to that next level where it's just um, incredibly rich. Like every single one of the activities is something that's gets back to that word engaging, um, fun, mm-hmm. really fun and wonderful, not only sort of for the students, but we're hearing that the parents who are giving the, doing the lessons and carrying them out also are just really enjoying them and having such a great time with the materials. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that's the, yeah, that's when you have such a rich learning environment, right? When everyone is that engaged that's and great. is when it becomes really powerful. Yeah. So I know Lisa, Anna, you and I, I think could chat and go on our different <laughs> our different strands for a very long time, but I know we're coming to our time and I also want, want to be respectful of that. So um, I want to ask you, since we, you know, you had also brought up the fact of our current situation with COVID and that, I mean, with school closures and I know even for, for um, I mean, Wisdom Wonder Project is fully online, so that's different, but Sloka has had to close its doors. Am I, am I right? Yes. Yeah. For this time. Yeah. So um, maybe if you could offer any support advice to parents that have found themselves at home that are listening to this episode, who are home unexpectedly that are trying to bring engagement or trying to, you know, whatever they can do. I, I don't want to say recreate school at home because I think that sometimes is where it gets a bit difficult. Mm-hmm. But what would you recommend for any activities or encouragement to parents that are listening? Yes. And this is just something I'm so glad for you to give me the opportunity to do because <clears throat> it really does feel like we've spent these years kind of mastering this and our transition to online has been <laughs> difficult for the teachers as we've learned all the technology <laughs> between Zoom and creating video lessons, yeah, but I'm, seem, yeah, I'm sure. kind of seamless for our families and that they, they do know how to learn at home. And so for families for whom this is completely new, I know it's completely overwhelming. And I think you hit on one of the the things that I like to say to, you know, different friends who've come to me to ask for advice is to say, don't try to create school at home. <laughs> Your kids mm-hmm. are home and they know it. <laughs> so yeah. don't try to make it a mini school there. But you'd, you'd want a little bit of structure, but you want it to be flexible structure. I would say pick a start time. Some families have a lot of um, video materials coming in from their schools or Zoom materials. Some families have none. Some families just have work packets. Um, And so you have to kind of, um, let's see, take the pulse of your child. So all this online is really hard for some kids. Some kids can't do all of it. And then for schools where it's just workbook packets, I highly recommend that families communicate with the school and do what feels meaningful and good in your household and then communicate with your school when it's too much. Like, let's don't all push our kids to the breaking point with these materials. Mm. 
Um, Thank you for saying that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, We want to be really careful about their mental health. The stress on them right now is enormous. And I hope that families are creating safe space for communicating about it. And I love, you know, like at the end of the day, take a walk with your kids and that's a good time to get them talking, but you could even do some of your school while walking. You could go over, you know, you could do a fun little hands-on math lesson and then go for a little walk and then talk about what were some of the numbers that came up today or some of the concepts or, you know, we were talking about geometry and you know, we were, we were looking at, um, that little dot in the center of the circle. Can you remember what that's called? You know, you can do reviews like that while you're walking. Um, I like to think, I mentioned mentioned before, like set up a fort, your kids will love that. You know, they don't get to do school on campus in a fort, but you can (laughs) let them build a fort and say, I want you to, you know, you're going to make your fort. You get to do your math in your fort. Then we'll have lunch and then you can go and I'll read to you out loud in the fort. Um, Yeah, those are engaging, fun. It's creating that fun, engaging atmosphere and environment to learn and Yes, and you can bring your, you know, your multiple levels of kids together in that way too. Um, You know, math can be done with games. I love Uno because you can get kids to um, add up their score mentally. Um, You can play, you know, Go Fish or um, Dominoes are great. Um, I love cooking in the kitchen and really um, getting out all the different measuring implements and talking about conversions while you're just in there cooking. You can feel like, you know, everybody's making sourdough. Make your sourdough and make it a math lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, and I like to, for families who your children are spending a lot of time online, really implement family dinners if you can. And at dinner, it's like, what, what were you doing on your zoom class today? I heard you laughing about this one thing. What was that? Or, you know, I could tell you were really frustrated when you came out from that class. Can you tell me what that was about? Or why do you think your teacher wants you to know that particular thing? I noticed that in the video. We do need to stay involved. A lot of us are doing our own jobs at home while our kids are having their school. But the more we can try to stay involved with them, then we can actually find that we can turn this into a golden opportunity as opposed to just seeing it as um, a difficult time. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I, um, you know, it's interesting because I was also going to ask you if you had advice to parents that are maybe starting to homeschool and they're, you know, because I've, I've had this feedback from many who said, you know what, we actually decided we're not going to be returning to school. We're going to continue homeschooling. Um, but I think, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that advice applies to everyone as well. I think all of us who as well who have been homeschooling for a long time, you know, even the conversation, being involved, family dinners, those things that sometimes we kind of have rushed by before, but really have so much enrichment. The the walks and talking about what they've been learning on the walks of the day to give that you're moving, you're outside, but also that kind of that um, engagement and reinforcement as well. That's right. And that's when I talk about looking at some of the opportunities. And I don't mean to minimize. I mean, there are families who both both parents have lost their jobs and they're really looking mm-hmm. at how are we going to do this? And they're struggling to put food on the table. So I don't want to minimize, but that is one of the things as I talk about the reading through history and we're looking at times where, um, you know, where there were different wars happening and families lived through these 
dire times. And part of how they did it was creating that that home bond and community. And part of the way you do that is communication and time together. And it's, you know, being honest with your kids, like, wow, this is really hard. This is scary, but let's talk about this. Um, and then for families who are in less of a dire place really can take advantage of, hey, we've got this time together. And for both homeschool families and families who are new to this, let's make sure to take those breaks. Like we don't want to just sit and power through all this. Let's take a break, get outside. If you've got a trampoline, trampolines, by the way, are also a perfect way to learn math facts and other things that you want to memorize. But jump rope, I mean, in in our household, we are doing... um, well, at our curriculum, we're learning a little bit of like Jamestown and pre-colonialism. So we played leapfrog, pickup sticks, and now my daughter's gotten really into hopscotch. And nice, so, yeah. you know, these are things that I we may not have taken advantage of before. But now literally like my 10th grader, who is an athlete and really mourning the loss of athletics at the moment, he was down there playing pickup sticks with us and you could see all his competitive nature coming out in the pickup sticks. And even my husband was like, oh, this is so hard. And then everybody said, let's play it again. You know, so it's like, it's those kind of things. And you could say like a game like pickup sticks, oh, that was just a waste of time. But actually we're learning precision, observation, um, spatial awareness, uh, communication with one another and problem solving. It's like, wow, just that one little game. And it's like that with so many things. So we want to try to take our take the break from Netflix as much as we can and engage with our children and our spouses in meaningful ways that we can look back on this time and say, wow, we, we did that pretty well. That's some fantastic advice. Thank you, Lisa Ann. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Well, Robin, thank you. I think you can tell that one of my favorite things to do is talk about all of this. So you've given me an opportunity too. So it's been my pleasure. It's always great to, uh, yeah, to to talk with someone who who shares that ex- excitement and enthusiasm and and passion for for all of this. So yeah, it's definitely been my pleasure. Um, so I want to, I, I said I would leave all of the information in the show notes for Wisdom Wonder Project, uh, the series that you are offering right now to families on YouTube. And um, yeah, and if there's anything else that you wanted to share or that your uh, Wisdom Wonder Project has an Instagram page that's fantastic. I follow it. And there's on the stories, there's like a lot of engaging activities and information as well. Uh, is there anything else that we should mention? Um, just, I would love if people do go to YouTube to subscribe, because if we can get that page built up, you know, that will really help us. We were going to do a Kickstarter to help with the funding of our project. And when all this started, we said, okay, no way, we're not going to mm-hmm. be asking anyone for contributions in this way. But if we just can get that YouTube channel built up, that will help us down the road. And is that Wisdom Wonder Project YouTube, or is it that is, a different name for the for Singapore Math? or? It, it is, um, yeah, it's www.youtube.com backslash Wisdom Wonder Project. And the okay. Singapore math videos are there, as well as some really wonderful read-alouds. And there's we, there's one, I Read Rocks a Boxin, um, of one of our favorite books is on that. So your listeners can see who I am to put a face awesome. to the voice. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to go down this road with me in classical education, mythology, the you know finer points of, I think, the strong parts of learning story and engagement, relationship, vulnerability, mistakes, challenges, and some wonderful advice was shared as well for parents at home. So thank you very much, Lisa Ann. Thank you so much, Robin. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yes, you too.